The content presented in this podcast is solely for educational purposes and should not be used as medical advice to diagnose, manage, or treat any health conditions. If you or someone you know has a condition or disease discussed in this podcast, we would encourage you to create and implement a care plan specific to your needs under the supervision of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in the field of fetal medicine and should not be interpreted as the standard of care. Hey, Woomates. This is Aaron Moise. And this is Ken Moise. And welcome back to our next episode of The News Womb. We're going to be taking a little bit of a detour this evening, doing more of a fun episode. Um, We're going to talk about... Season 4, episode 20, called Rise, on a show called New Amsterdam. Uh, Season 5 just recently premiered, but we're going back to the end of season 4. There's an episode involving fetal surgery that I watched and I had to share with Dad, and um, he had some very interesting things to say. So we're going to kind of dissect a little bit of the procedure um, the consultation and treatment and also the surgery itself. <laughs> well, I, I had more than a few things to say. I was he in did. shock. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want to know who the medical advisor for this show is. Didn't you tell me? Hit us up. One of the producers is a physician. One of, so the producer for the show is an MD. He actually, it's kind of, I think he wrote the book that the show is based off of. He was the um, chief medical officer of... Oh, okay. A hospital in New York City. So He was a bureaucrat. I got it. So he's never taken care of a patient. I understand now. I mean, Makes sense. I'm not sure what his dossier contains. Right. Well, it's not fetal therapy, that's for Probably sure. Probably not. Okay. Not um, for this particular topic that we'll be discussing okay. tonight. Let's, so. let's learn about fetal therapy we through are. TV shows. Yes, this is my favorite way to learn. Well, this um, is how most of the public gets their information about fetal surgery. This, this is true. This So we... I think our main goal this evening is to kind of um, squash some misinformation perceived by this episode and um, maybe kind of answer some questions that I would have if, you know, I were, I'm trying to kind of take the standpoint of a consumer or patient that would be in this situation or maybe have a similar diagnosis. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So... Like most of these medical shows, the episode has kind of a couple of different storylines going on. So, you know, at about eight or nine minutes into the episode, we finally get to the fetal therapy case. And we're in a hospital room, and we have two physicians uh, consulting with a patient. She's looking at her ultrasound on a iPad, which is, you know, new with the technology. That's not too far out there. But I think that um, what I know Dr. Elise is going to want to focus on are the physicians that are consulting on this case. So in her room, she has a CV surgeon, <laughs> cardiovascular surgeon, and a surgical oncologist. Um, and that's it. So uh, well, Dr. Elise, can you speak into uh, who would be consulting on a we, we haven't gotten to the type of fetal care therapy case, but we do know it's a fetal case. Well, first, We're telling you. Uh, well, first, let's say the patient's pregnant, right? So she's got to be pregnant. She's looking at her ultrasound on an iPad right. at her twin pregnancy. And we have two surgeons who've come in the room to talk to her. One, like you say, is CV surgeon. And the other is a surgical oncologist. But she doesn't have cancer. She just has 
babies growing inside. So. Well, and my guess is that the argument for the writers using the surgical oncologist is that basically what they're they are telling her in this consultation is you have twins. Uh, we find out she's at 18 weeks gestation. So, you know, in our second trimester, still pretty small. And then they say, and both baby, <laughs> both babies have this lung mass. They have tumors. Yeah, that's right. They have tumors. Right. They have these, these tumors. Oh, right. So we need an oncologist because we have tumors. Right. So that's where I think there are, I could see the argument for having a surgical oncologist. But I can't. Okay, listen. <laughs> babies, fetuses do not have cancer. That doesn't happen no. in babies. Um, I'm not arguing with you there. I'm just playing devil's advocate okay. of where I, I could I get it. potentially I get it. be. But these are growths in the lung. They're these are benign. Gro- we know they're, they're growths in the lungs. But they do say that. They say they're benign. But I think the issue I have with that I need you to speak into is they say these are identical twins. First of all, we'll have an entire separate episode on twins. We're going to have to do wait, that. Wait, go back, go back. You told me you wanted to know who I would have in the room doing the consult. We haven't addressed that. So they have a pregnant <laughs> woman... She should have an OBGYN there, right? Yes. She's pregnant. Understand. We yes. probably would want to have a maternal fetal medicine specialist there who's a high-risk obstetrician with right. separate boards. And maybe someone who just does fetal medicine like what I kind of do. And fetal surgery and And fetal surgery. And then we'd probably have a pediatric surgeon there yes. who operates on little people and little babies, little right? People. Yes. So that they, we wouldn't have a surgical oncologist. We surely wouldn't have a CV surgeon. There. So let's get the right doctors this here. This is true. Okay. Okay. So um, we've got the right doctors in the room in our scenario, not in this episode. But to continue setting the scene, these two physicians are consulting with this patient. And first you find out that it's an IVF pregnancy. Um, and so it has split into identical twins. Which, again, we'll go into another episode in the future on twins and all of the, the things that come with twins. But so she's had this identical twin pregnancy, and they say one baby or both babies have this lung mass because they're identical twins. Which is totally false. Let me start with our first, not only do we have the wrong doctors, but we now have our first falsehood. So. Even with identical twins, although genetically they are very similar, it is not uncommon, probably 80% of the time, that uh, structural problems like a lung mass are what we call discordant. That means one has it and one doesn't. So you can have, even though you have identical twins, one baby can have a heart problem and the other baby not, or in this case, a lung mass, and usually the other baby not. So to have two babies with the same exact lung mass would have to write this up as a case report. Okay. Yes. Agreed. So, okay. And while we're on the subject of these lung masses, I think it's important to tie this into a scenario where this is maybe somewhat appropriate of, could you explain some lung lesions or lung masses that we do typically see in fetuses, not twins necessarily, but just in general, what could you see as in the, be described as a fetal lung mass? So um, it's not uncommon to see a white mass in the lung on ultrasound, and we call these congenital pulmonary malformations, airway malformations, or CPAMs. They're usually they're always benign. They typically uh, we watch them with ultrasound. They get smaller and go away, if you would. Actually, what happens? They stop growing, and the lung, the normal lung, grows around it. And sometimes they have to be taken out uh, later on after birth. But we'll talk about that in another episode. Rarely almost unheard of today, would you operate on babies to take out lung masses 
while they're still in the womb. Number well, we one. Have, we haven't gotten to that part of the episode yet. Well, okay, but they're talking <laughs> but yes, about it. But yes, they are talking it. about it. That's yeah. true. This is true. You would never operate on 18-weekers. That's just unheard of. And you would never operate on twins because that's a no-no. First of all, because one baby's typically normal, one has the problem. So you don't want to put the normal baby at risk. So it's almost unheard of to operate on twins. But we'll move on from there. Okay. And so did, did you talk about BPS? Are you going to talk about BPSs or just CPMs? No, I just talked about CPMs. This is all, we'll talk more about different types of lung lesions. But let's just say both these babies, these identical twins, have a lung lesion and they're 18 weeks pregnant. And we'll now see what happens. True. And then just one more thing while we're on the subject of a little bit of genetics, because I also think this is important when talking about lung lesions, how many of these lung lesions do have a genetic component, these CPAMs that you've talked about? And, or is there even a genetic component to yeah, them? Yeah, there, there probably is. We're still learning about the genetics of lung lesions. Like any growth, there's probably uh, genetic growth factors that make a piece of the lung go awry. These lungs are not normal. They don't connect with the airways uh, to the rest of the lung. So it kind of consider it a, a mass that doesn't work as a regular lung. So they just eventually have to come out, but they don't cause any real cancer problems or anything. But let's, let's go on yes. and talk about what happens. Okay. So towards the end of the consultation, they start talking about treatment options and let's talk about what they say. So she asks, what are my options? Is this my only option to have this surgery? They've, they've offered a surgery to remove the babies from the uterus, keep them attached to the umbilical cord, take out the lung masses on each baby, put them back in the uterus, and then she'll keep carrying her pregnancy. Is that my only option, Dr. Moes? Uh, I hope that's the op- not the option you pick, so I want a different <laughs> window to pick. Um, we never take babies out of the uterus. Even when we do open fetal surgery, like for spina bifida, the baby stays inside. It has to stay warm. It has to be protected. And we would never open the uterus up large enough to take babies out. So let's dispel the next big rumor besides the wrong doctors here, is that open surgery almost is never done for lung lesions, never done on twins. And now you would never open the uterus and take the babies out of the uterus. You would leave the baby inside the uterus. If you did operate on it, it gets to stay in its nice little safe environment. Okay, so I do think we should um, maybe give a little bit of kudos there. What you were when we listened to the episode, you were nodding. There was a couple of correct statements they made, such as remind me what those were. <laughs> well, they did say eighteen weeks; they're too young to survive delivery. Yeah, I would agree with that statement. So they got that part right. Um, and what else did they get right? Not much else so far, <laughs> but we have more to come. Okay. okay, so now we're in the operating room, right? Yes, we, we finished so the consultation. <laughs> yeah, let's kind of lay it out. So we have two surgeons, <laughs> each with their own baby, laying on a table with cords all the way out from the Bungee uterus. cords. Like bungee cords. Bungee cord Way length. too long. But these little babies, way too early to be operated on, are laying out in the coal operating room. On their bungee cords attached to the On a dry the mayo right. table. Right. And then the vital signs start changing, and they realize it's the mother having a problem. Now, what do they say about the mother? What's going on? Okay, so they're operating on the, their respective babies, 
and a monitor starts going off and they each look at their baby and they say, my baby's stable. The other one says mine is too. And then actually without looking at a monitor at all, the CV surgeon looks at the patient and says, it's Inez, which is the patient's name. So it's the patient's monitor, which I think we could probably have figured that out. Well, but normally the anesthesiologist would be saying that something. That was what I was going to say, and I think so, that would be anesthesia. Okay, let's get this straight. As surgeons, our job is to be dealing with whatever we're operating on, and the anesthesiologist is dealing with the mom and watching her vital signs, right? So he would have looked up and said to the surgeons, the mom's developing a problem. Right. So they say the mom's the uterus Something's is contracting. Right. Yes. And then he says, this is the best part. Yes. The uterus is rupturing. No, 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 no. They say... He says the uterus is contracting, and the other surgeon says it's going to rupture. It's going to rupture. Which, if a closed uterus was contracting, could it rupture, Dr. Moise? In what world would that work? Well, I mean, so the uterus rupture means that the uterus tears, right? It opens on its own. And it can happen with contractions when you have a scar on the uterus that's already been closed. But this uterus is open, and the cords are hanging out. So I, I don't know how it would rupture. It really can't. So could rupture. you give us an analogy of like if it's a rupturing uterus, it would be like a balloon popping, right? Well, yeah. Like let's say you've had a previous C-section and you're laboring, so you have an old scar from your previous C-section, and now you're in labor. Those contractions could potentially cause that. In rare situations could cause that scar to tear or rupture, and that could be serious for the mother and the baby in that situation. But that's not what we have here. We have the uterus open. So there's no way to rupture something that's already it can't open. Okay. Okay. And then, then what do we do to fix that? What does a doctor do to fix that? So I, I will give him credit. He does at least say, oh, I think there's a bleeder, or he calls it a pumper. I don't, is that a cardiovascular surgeon term? A pumper? So he's, he says, I think there's a bleeder. And then he says, I have to resect it. But they don't. What, what is what? he resecting? We don't know. They okay. never find out. But he just know, he just cuts a piece. He out just of the starts uterus. cutting away, and Got he it. pulls out this little sliver of tissue. It's like this thin. <laughs> it looks like a little thin piece of plastic, and all, the monitors calm down. And he says, "I did it. It's all good. It's all good now. I don't know what he did, but it's all good." So now we come to the real dilemma. He has resected something to treat the ruptured uterus, and they look at the uterus and go, "Oh my goodness, it's smaller now. What are we going to do?" So what are they concerned about? Miss Aaron. So supposedly they're, they're concerned that both babies are not going to fit back inside of this uterus. Um, I thought the uterus was a muscle and it stretched. Uh, it does. It does. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clarify. Um, and acting like it has absolutely no pliability to it. So it's smaller. And then this discussion ensues of we have to pick one. We have to pick a baby to live and pick one to die because only one will fit in the uterus, right? Right. They decide there's not enough room for both babies. So one has one has to be sacrificed for the good of the other. Right. And now they, the dilemma is which one should they sacrifice? So their first kind of argument for making that decision, Sophie's choice, if you will, is which one is less less developed or more developed? The more developed one should survive, Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> they developed the same, right? The they real were, world? They're they, identical. They were conceived at the same time, and they're developed the same. Now, one may be smaller. We call that growth restriction. One may be smaller than the other. Um, and so that could be one of the factors to make a decision. But 
in truth is this is this is TV audience type material, and they finally decide that isn't a good decision. They don't want to make the decision too hard. So true, that's true. Choice two, what do they do? So choice two, I like the dramatics of of the how this choice was presented, where you know the cardiovascular surgeon says, "I have an idea," and then he does the, oh, "No, it's 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 too insane," and she says, "No, what is it?" And so he says, "Well." We could put one baby in the uterus, and then he uses the terminology zipper it closed, I guess referring to leaving an opening for the other baby's umbilical cord to be outside of it. And then we'll just tuck the other fetus somewhere in the abdomen and just leave it there. <laughs> and they called it an ectopic pregnancy. They did. Right? They called this an ectopic pregnancy. That's true. Well, it, you know, by definition, a pregnancy outside the uterus is an ectopic pregnancy. But just for our audience, ectopic usually means in the fallopian tube or, you know, somewhere where it doesn't belong outside of the uterus. Technically, this would be an abdominal pregnancy. That is, right. it's implanted in the abdomen. And those do occur. They're pretty rare. They can be very dangerous for the mother. I've only been involved in a couple of those cases in my career. We'll save that for another time. But leaving a hole in the uterus with a bag of water that has to be repaired to think the cord's just going to come out and you're going to tuck this baby in the corner. That's not realistic. It's not going to work. Well, and I think my big concern was this is that whenever she does go into labor, if her uterus does contract at some point, it's going to contract around that cord and cut off effectively cut off that baby's blood supply. Well, that's right. But I mean, even before that, you've got to be in a bag of fluid to have (laughs) a lung development. So how do you seal the bag around that, that little hole in the uterus? For the you cord can't to get a water tight And then you've got another baby inside the belly with no fluid, so it shouldn't develop lungs because it doesn't have fluid around it. But so we got lots of problems with tuck it in the corner there. Yes. Okay. So in the final scene, they're back in the um, patient's room. She's awake now, and they're. Uh, I think it's the next morning, right? And they're looking at the ultrasound, and what do they see? They, they well, they don't make it clear, but all of a sudden, there's fluid around both babies. Amazing. And they're both doing so fine. And they, they didn't actually replace any of the amniotic fluid. I'm assuming they ruptured her membranes to get the fetuses out. But at no point do they add that fluid back yeah, in. Actually, that's the question I get asked the most when I counsel patients. I think it's a good question. About open surgery is where's all the fluid go? And the fluid does all come out. It spills out of the hole you make, right? And so we, we have to put fluid back. At the end of the procedure, we usually use sterile intravenous fluids that we would put in your vein. We just put in the uterus. And then we, we kind of sew it back up watertight, and we keep the fluid inside. And believe it or not, we can sew the membranes together to make them watertight. But again, that fluid's important for normal development of the baby. Uh, it's you know It's got to expand its lungs and move around. And so you, you have to have fluid for normal development. Yeah, and so, you know, they do this post-op ultrasound, and you see the fluid around not only the baby in the uterus, but the baby in the abdomen happens to have a amniotic sac around it as well, magically, which is... Yeah, so let's recap if I can remember all the problems here, because I'm kind of running out of... My list is getting long. So, number one, you'd have the right surgeons, right? Right. Probably a maternal fetal medicine specialist maybe an OBGYN, maybe a pediatric surgeon. I was say, at least some peop- some surgeons that yeah. operate on little people. Exactly. Number two, you would never operate at 18 weeks. And number three, it would be unusual for both twins, even identical twins, have the same lung lesion. 
Uh, number four, we don't operate on lung lesions anymore. We have different ways to treat those, and they usually go away on their own. Um, let's keep going. Number five, when we get to the operating room, we would never take the babies out. If we were to do open fetal surgery, they it, we'd leave the baby inside and operate on just the part that we need to operate on. Uh, and then we would um, put fluid back, and we would never <laughs> leave a baby in the abdomen. It has to go back. Well, it should never come out of where it started yeah. from, right? Right. And then as we talked about the next day, we've got to be sure we have fluid around the babies because we've replaced the fluid and sealed the sack up with stitches. Uh, and then uh, we would hope the pregnancy continues to do well. So I'm not sure there's a lot of good things about this. I'm not sure there's any facts that I would say are accurate in Ex this particular... Except that 18 weeks is not a viable gestation. Okay, I'll buy that. Good. There you go. So... You shouldn't operate at 18 weeks because babies are too small. Or deliver them. Or period. deliver them, yeah. We don't see babies survive today until 23 to 24 weeks at the earliest. But even then, those babies have lots of problems. So um, we'll give this a, uh, a thumbs down <laughs> from the... Uh, Medical perspective. Well, from the wombs, from the wombs room, we're going to give the this womb, a, womb. the womb room, <laughs> the news womb. Yeah, we give this a thumbs down on yeah. our review of this. At least on the medical side, great entertainment. Um, right. You know, a fun show to watch and interesting. We we understand that these are written for theatrical entertainment and not for medical accuracy. We know that, but but but, but I think we can both agree. I mean, I do thumbs down on this one. Yes, it was it was pretty. Pretty frightening. And again, this is, we, we're, you know, we're poking fun, but I think that this is also kind of a way we want to communicate with patients of things to ask your provider. You know, if you were to have an anomaly in your pregnancy, questions to ask the physician, the appropriate physicians you should be seeing um, and things that there are, there's a lot of misinformation out there on, you know. Yeah, we'll do a later session on, well, we're going to do one on twins for sure. But we'll do a later session on lung lesions, too, for those who want to listen in. And what the state-of-the-art lung lesion treatment is, is lots of ways to treat lung lesions if they uh, don't disappear. As I said, many of them do. It's a common thing to find on ultrasound, and it usually doesn't mean much for the pregnancy. And as we now do ultrasounds on you know, virtually every pregnant woman at 20 weeks looking at the anatomy, it's not uncommon to find something minor like this. So um, thanks for listening in. And this is Ken Moise saying... Uh, uh, Wait, goodbye to our, our wombmates. Let me sign off first. And then you can say Go ahead. Name. And I say more to follow, right? Yeah, you do. Actually. Go ahead. Go. go for your sign. And this is Aaron Moise signing off. And this is Ken Moise signing off. And more to follow. See ya. Whoa, 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 whoa.